Welcome to the Compassionate Capitalist Radio Show with host Karen Rands. A compassionate capitalist is someone who invests their money into entrepreneur endeavors to bring innovation to the market and create wealth for all those involved. Karen shares insights and best practices for entrepreneurs to succeed and investors to share in that success without all the risks. And now. So welcome to the Compassionate Capitalist podcast. And of course, this is a subset of the Compassionate Capitalist podcast video because this is a video and it's what we do for cannabis industry. I call it the Cannabis Capitalist podcast when it's within my context of that. And, the, and just a little background on this because uh, I have been um, as an, an advisor to investors and to entrepreneurs looking at hot new sectors and things that go around and and what can you get involved in sort of at the ground floor. Everybody's always looking for ground floor opportunities. And the thing about cannabis was that it was an entire ecosystem being created from, from everything. You can imagine if you could get into the automobile when the automobile was first invented, so to speak. And there were so many opportunities all over the place. That's what the cannabis industry is like. And so I like to have very highly expert people come in to educate my investors and entrepreneurs about the opportunities and the risks and all those kind of things. And so I do, I have some great in guests that if you're watching the video, you can see them smiling right now, but I'll introduce them in just a second. They could say, hi, hi, how are you? Hello. Yeah. Thanks for having me. <laughs> and uh, the topic, cause I want to get you hooked in. So you're going to listen for the next 35 or 40 minutes is that I've done multiple shows about uh, IRA, self-directed IRAs. It's a, it's a hot topic of mine. I covered it in my book, Inside Secrets to Angel Investing, as a really good way for investors to get involved and use their untapped resources of their retirement fund to be able to invest in private companies. If you, you know, you, there's a number of companies out there that do it. The ones that I've interviewed in the past have been Rocket Dollar and Strata, but I know that um, my guests here from Canapreneur Partners, they've been working with interest. So they'll probably talk a little bit about that. But you know, self-directed A's, you're not familiar. We're going to talk about that and how it relates specifically to the cannabis industry. But they're really your Roth, your SEP, your simple IRA. They are all these different forms. And it just means that you get to direct where your investment goes. And most often they're used in real estate. That's when I first discovered it. And then I had one of the companies that we raised quite a bit of money for out of my angel investor group. Um, and a bunch of that came in through self-directed IRAs and it was just a way to free up liquidity that a lot of people, a lot of investors hadn't thought about. So we're going to talk about that. And then we're going to talk about cannabis and, you know, the growth of this industry. It is, you know, it, and, and I'm sure uh, uh, Mike, Michael and Todd are going to give more details about this because they live and breathe this every day. But, you know, it's an industry that's growing 14, in the U.S. alone, it's growing 14% year on year where they're expecting it to be a $30 billion industry by 2025. And really 47 states have some form of legalization from whether it's medicinal to full recreational. So there's a broad spectrum up there. I've done a number of shows that talk about the legalese of it in different places and, and some of the risks and stuff like that. And we're going to get into more of that today as we talk about um, this as an investment strategy. But you know, the federal laws really haven't changed a lot that allows a lot of medical or biochemical research to be done specifically on cannabis. It can be done on hemp, um, but not so much on cannabis. And so uh, other countries are, are leading the charge on that. But as I've listened to other podcasts that my guests have done, they showed that the statistics in the states where it's legal is that the opioid addiction is down, DUIs are down, and I'm sure they're going to expand on that. So, but let me let me introduce you to my guests. We have Michael Scott. Say wave, Michael. So, after 20 years in the financial services industry and managing clients' capital, Michael became one of the youngest top 1% ranked advisors at Ameriprise, and he orchestrated a seven-figure acquisition that became Ameriprise's first external practice acquisition. He got this entrepreneur itch, and he'll talk a little bit more about that in a second, but through, through those um, investment and growth opportunities in cannabis that kept popping up, he took a sabbatical for a year and made the decision to dive deep into the cannabis industry and co-founded Cannapreneur Partners, 
It's a holding company where they invest in cannabis startups, businesses, providing both capital and strategic direction. And then we have Todd Sullivan. Say hello, Todd. Wave. Hello. Todd is the co-CEO of Canapreneur Partners and brings to the table a demonstrated history of working in the investment industry, the investment management industry with strong media and communication skills for investor relations and working with entrepreneurs in the Canapreneur pipeline. So thank you again, gentlemen, for being on my show today. And Say hello again, I guess. <laughs> Karen, thanks for having us on. One of the comments that you just made um, about this being such a nascent and up-and-coming industry, like if the automobile industry was, was emerging and just was newly legal, you know, the analogy I like to use is, what if all of a sudden coffee beans and coffee was illegal? Like, just think about how people need and want their coffee. Right. right? This is happening globally right now with cannabis. And I think it's a great analogy because with cannabis, there's this subset that had been using it in the gray market, black market for years, right? So they had their feeling on it based on actual use. There's a segment that's got stigma associated with it, but then there's a giant segment in the middle, right? That maybe tried it in college, but haven't touched it for 10, 20 years because it's illegal. And then, there's also in that segment is a number of consumers that are just like, I've now talked to so many of my friends and family that have had experienced benefit from it and they're open to it. And so I think we're in the middle of an amazing entrepreneurial revolution. And a lot of experts will agree that over the next five to 10 years, this is going to be one of the most explosive, hottest uh, investment sectors out there. Period. Yeah. So um, having us on the show. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think so. So uh, anything you want to add about your bios and your journey to starting Canapreneur before we get into the additional topic? What if Todd started? He's yeah. got a pretty, yeah. pretty so cool So from my side, I, I started probably three or four years ago looking at the cannabis space. And the more I uh, invested in it, the more time I invested in it, and the more I looked at it, I just came to the conclusion that there was just no way this was not going to be the next huge thing whether you're talking the internet in the late 90s and you know it, it, it's unavoidable that this was going to happen and the the regulatory structure throughout the u.s i know was so broken uh the financing of the industry is so broken that i knew that it was going to create amazing opportunities for anyone who could navigate the regulatory structure and then provide financing for these operations um, and that's why I stumbled across Mike and his group in June, June or July last year. Uh, we started a relationship and it's just kind of grown from there. But, you know, I agree that, you know, this is, this is unlike anything most of us have ever seen in our lifetime in that we have a demand for a product that is so insatiable. And COVID yeah. has earned this, right? I mean, oh, yeah. cannabis sales are up across the country despite the base of the nation being shut down. And if that doesn't show you the demand for the product, nothing will. Go ahead. During the Great Depression, yeah. people were acting, you know, people, you think about recessionary times, um, Great Depression, what have you, people are buying their alcohol, right? Yeah. We think the same is true with adult use cannabis. And then additionally, when you look at tough economic times, are people going to pay for their medicine? Absolutely, they're gonna pay for their medicine. This is an industry that touches both of those sectors. And if you believe the Ray Dialios of the world who runs the world's largest damn hedge fund, he believes a depression is coming. Right? Yeah. So if, if you believe that we're headed into a major market correction, you wanna be in investments where those consumers are bringing their dollars through the doors regardless of what's going on. They're going to cut the fat on things they don't need, but I'm going to, I'm here to submit to you. I don't think that's cannabis. I think cannabis is going to prove to be one of the safer places, but I'm going to add to that. It's, I think it's different than public though. I think public's Absolutely. going to have an ongoing volatility, uh, volatile nature is what I would say because of the uncertainty of the legal status. Right. Investors in markets don't like uncertainty. Here on the public side, here's what Todd and I know. Todd and I know that dispensaries that need funding, if they get to market, 
consumers are going to come through the doors and going to generate revenue and profits. So if we invest, if we bring our dollars in the form of debt, equity, and bring our investors along the side to fund those, we believe they're very, very great and safe investments uh, as we, you know, kind of move on to see what this whole COVID thing is going to bring. Yeah, and we've seen it. We've seen, you know, Massachusetts has seen a 240% increase in medical applications uh, just during COVID. Florida has seen massive increases in medical, uh, medical, um, uh, medical prescriptions for cannabis. Oklahoma, the exact same thing. State by state by state through the seven to eight weeks of this lockdown has seen medical cannabis um, applications soar. They've seen retail sales of cannabis go up. Um, so the, the shutdown has had no effect on the industry. If anything, it's cemented its necessity, uh, not only for states and tax revenues, but for consumers both for the adult use and the medicinal side. And the medicinal side, we haven't even begun to touch the potential. Exactly. Right now, we have 15% of the U.S. population uses cannabis maybe once a month. You know, at some point in time, I predict that'll be 70 to 80%, like alcohol or like other, you know, other, uh, other stuff. And uh, when it, you know, if you look at that market, that's going to grow six times, five times from its current size. Um, that's an enormous investment opportunity. And I, I agree with Mike said that public markets, the public market stocks are still experiencing the hangover, the cannabis stocks, a hangover from the bad decisions of a few years ago where they ran around throwing millions of dollars at anything. Um, and, and they're paying the price for it now. Uh, we don't own any publicly traded cannabis stocks, don't intend to own any for quite some time because honestly, the, the best valuations uh, and the most security you're going to have for your dollars, if you want to invest in cash right now, we view is on the private side. And the, the valuation, yeah, if you know what you're doing, if you do your due diligence and you're you're able to take a stake where you have some say over operations and a board seat or whatever, um, it's very compelling investment opportunities on the private side right now. Yeah. Here's something. Um, if you look at the top reasons consumers yeah. utilize cannabis, the top two or three reasons i know Todd is this right stress is up there i think stress is number uh, one or two stress. anxiety i believe was number two i'm forgetting the third sleep and pain sleep and pain so oh yeah so top three reasons consumers are using cannabis karen and guess what now today is the number one major mental health issue anxiety oh sure and particularly under covid Right. I mean, people don't know what's happening with their their income. They don't. They're afraid of their what happens if they get it. Do they? My my daughter ha, is is dealing with that because she doesn't want to infect me. So yeah. she's being hypersensitive to herself. You know, we don't live together, but you know, she doesn't want to visit, or she visits. We're only going to stay outside. You know, it's this kind of a thing. And and so yeah, totally. And and I think I saw in your other webinar that you did that millennials as a class or an age group are spending more on this than groceries? Is that true? I don't believe millennials spend more on cannabis than groceries. This is true yeah. statement. Yeah. That was stunning to me. I mean, unless maybe they're counting, they're counting alcohol and beer in there and that kind of stuff because, you know, I know a lot of people that when they have an opportunity and they can choose, they will choose cannabis over alcohol because of oh, yeah. the other, the health degradations. And as you have pointed out in our other conversations that, um, you know, there's no, there's all these health risks associated with alcohol and tobacco, which they haven't found in cannabis to be, you know, a long-term impact. And there's people that have been using it, you know, because of the gray markets for a long time and, you know, without there's any kind of downside. There's never been a recorded death in the U.S. attributed to cannabis. Really? No one's beat on it. No one's gotten cancer from cannabis. You, you can't OD on it. It's an all-natural plant. And so think of it this way. You know, you had the top three, top four reasons for cannabis uses, relaxation, anxiety, stress, and pain, right? Uh, I'm sorry, sleep and pain. If, if you took cannabis out of the equation and said apples would do this, 
there would not be an apple around there. People would be walking down the streets eating apples, right? But because of the stigma attached to cannabis, people either don't want to believe it, can't believe it, or are nervous to try it. Yeah. And now we have data coming out of these states that have legalized cannabis. You know, we realize that, as you said before, opioid deaths fall, heroin overdoses fall, um, prescription pain, um, prescriptions for pain medication fall, prescriptions for anxiety, stress, sleep. They all fall, alcohol sales fall. So the, the societal benefits, you get out, uh, cannabis is called a gateway drug. Well, it is. It's a gateway drug off these other off things. Drug, off, yeah. off, off cocaine, off baits, off, yeah. you know, off. Um, or also known as an exit way drug. Yeah, there it's are, an exit drug. There are medical doctors, Harvard professors doing roadshows and speaking about how cannabis is an amazing exit way drug. And I will tell you, Todd and I are, ambitious and looking forward to seeing how the medical dispensaries we're part of right here in the state can impact the opioid epidemic, the heroin epidemic. Um, the, the reality is, I, I mean, I, I'll hit you with this. If we destigmatize cannabis the way we have as a society destigmatized coffee, coffee is a drug. Nobody thinks of it as a drug. Right. In fact, I would admit to you that coffee may have more harmful side effects than cannabis. Nicotine, believe it or not. The coffee, caffeine is physically addictive. Yeah. Right? So, so coffee is physically addictive. Uh, yeah. So, you know, one of the things that I think it's uh, for people that don't understand why there's a stigma, if you haven't listened to this, you, or, you know, we don't have time to go into that now. I encourage you to go into my podcast feed and look for the interviews with David Feldman. He's a lawyer up out of Washington that uh, speaks on this. He has a blog on this. And we talked about the whole history of how it became illegal, the war on drugs during the Nixon era. And we go through all of that and talk about that. And I, I even uh, covered it with um, uh, a lawyer here in Georgia, Kendra, that we talked about Georgia-specific law and war on the on cannabis when they sprayed uh ddt on these um fields trying to and the the ultimate impact that that had in our health of our our communities because of the way they were attacking it so there are so there's other stuff that you can cover on that um and and get up to speed and that will get done as we educate the people about the 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 psychological and health benefits, the mental, physical health benefits of cannabis, there will be, you know, a, and more people will talk, you know, have these benefits. They talk about the benefits that they have. It will come out and I think will that tide will turn and we'll see what happens in the next election and, this, and the uh, governing cycle of the next four years if we actually get it through Congress at a federal level to, to decriminalize yeah. it. So. Right now, they have fingers crossed on that, right? Um, so let's talk a little bit about this idea, you know, between private and public, right? Because a lot of times, you know, of course, the book I I wrote on Inside Secrets to Angel Investing is about how to be an investor in private companies compared to real estate or public companies, and and my whole goal of the Compassionate Capitalist Movement is to create a um a uh, the, change the paradigm about investing in private companies so that people will strive to learn how to invest in private companies the way, the same way they strive to invest, learn about investing in real estate or stocks and add it to an active investor portfolio. It becomes a third asset class that people embrace at whatever income level, liquidity level they have, because with the various levels of crowdfunding, you can, you know, participate in all different ways. And then of course, what we're going to, our focus today is on how you can use your retirement funds to invest in into cannabis as you know an asset class. So I know um, um, a lot of people, you know, you've touched on it a little bit here. They have a, per, a perception that stock markets aren't risky, but with the collapse that we've had in and the ups and down that we've had in the last few weeks, nine weeks since we've been in this situation with COVID. We have seen dramatic drops, whole industry shifts, just incredible stuff that has happened uh, that has made stock markets, you know, not so good, or unless you got some liquidity, you could, if you think something's going to go up, great time to buy low. But as we saw with the drop in the, uh, the stock market in the um, Great Recession, not a depression, but back in uh, a decade ago, it took 10 years for stocks that dropped then to get back to a normal 
like back to square one. It sure. took 10 years because the, the raise, it's much harder to, to raise the value of a public stock, whereas private stock as it, it, yes, it's risky because you don't know if the company's actually going to go all the way to an exit. Right. And I, I have other segments. I did Hal Martin. I have a converse, I had a conversation with him just a couple of weeks on a podcast on a, on a structure that he does in a deal that guarantees a return that you could go listen to. And then an organization like yours that puts this due diligence, you have a really good program that you do that I'm, I hope we'll touch on here in, in just a few minutes, but I want to get, have your way in on this idea of, you know, and you mentioned stock, like Mad Men, people always go, oh, they was like such a hot thing. And I was stunned at the time when they were first going public and how much they were paying for their licenses was out. It was like, no, it, no small business could be in that. You could only be these things. But now you see trading at 17 cents a share, significantly down whatever it was when it went public to start with. And for it to get back up, it's going to take a long time. So talk a little bit about this whole, you know, why you focus, because you mentioned you're not getting into the public stocks on this. So why do you focus on private companies as your investment st strategy with Canapreneur Partners and what you do to make sure that the investment is, um, you know, there's a, a process you go to. So how do you vet your deals and, and talk a little bit about why you are making that as an investment decision? Sure. Todd, do we start with that or do you want to? Yeah, go ahead. So, I mean, my background, I've got exposure to both public investments and private, right? So my background in public investments is as a private wealth advisor dealing with publicly traded investments, did that for 17, 18 plus years. But then, you know, over the last 10 years, I've also been active in private companies uh, where I've been deploying my personal capital into these companies, bringing other people's capital into the companies to help for successful launches. I've now done that uh, 11 different times with private companies, whether it be my own or other people pitching me. And I think that my background is the perfect blend, you know, between entrepreneurism and publicly traded investments. And so to answer your question, why am I more focused on the private space? If you look at the public space, A, number one, you cannot buy publicly traded stocks in the U.S. for the most part other than on the OTC, right? So if you want to buy something on NASDAQ, you know, that, that's not happening for the most part if it's plant touching in Canada. So what that means is that leaves in North America the Canadian Stock Exchange which is a relatively small exchange. It's the junior to the Toronto Stock Exchange, right? So number one, you have very limited access to the up and coming companies. Unless you want to go to the pink sheets and a lot of investors would prefer to stay away from pink sheets. Number two, as long as this is federally illegal, it, these stocks won't be on the public exchanges. And number two, I predict we're going to have ongoing volatility. I mean, let's face it, investors uh, and regulators are gonna be nervous about the future of cannabis because today it is federally illegal. Right. However, on the state side, if you're dealing with a local operator that is following all the state laws and they're generating cash flow, right? Or have a high ability to generate cash flow in the future can be an amazing investment. That being said, you've got to vet the deal. You've got to vet the operator. You've got to look at the deal structure. You've got to look at track record of success. So it's different than the public space, Karen. In the public space, you can pull up a Morningstar report or listen or read what five different analysts have to say about Tesla, and then you make your decision. Uh, very, very different in the private space. You know, you want to actually get in there and meet that CFO, meet the CEO, understand the business strategy, you know, really understand, is this going to be the all-star team? Is this going to be a one percenter? Because it's, as you know, a very small percentage of businesses, they're going to make it all the way through to being cash flow profitable, then make it to the next stage of becoming a publicly traded company, having a successful exit, et cetera. Uh, these are not easy things, but Todd and I both think that, you know, we've got the skill set, we've got the track record. And here on the East Coast, there's not a lot of other groups that have, you know, three, four years plus of experience doing this. It's the second inning here on the East Coast. In the West Coast, California, you know, Washington State, especially California, the market's been around, the, you know, for a decade plus. California is really the world's largest market, right? So we'll call them the seventh inning. 
there's some great multiples when you're in the second. <laughs> great multiples. So I mean, right. you look at Massachusetts is really the only adult use state legal on the East Coast. You know, Maine has legalized it, but I think they got their first dispensary up and running uh, last week up in Camden, Maine. Right. So it's right. it's really their market is insignificant compared to what's going on in Massachusetts, and 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 Vermont is going to legalize. You know, you know, East Illinois or north of Washington, D.C., Massachusetts is it. It's the only state you can buy adult-use cannabis is Massachusetts. Yeah. So, and, you, and you're, you're strictly Massachusetts in what you focus on. Is that right? We're not. We're predominantly Massachusetts. It happens to be our backyard. And so, we're, okay. you know, we've got the brand here, so we might as well take advantage of it. But I'll give you a couple comparisons, right? Massachusetts, you get in. It's early stage. These businesses are looking for that capital. There's not a whole sea of investors that have been touching marijuana, going in the stores, writing investment checks for it. It's tough to get the capital. So your multiples are so much greater here. You go to California, there's a whole sea of competition out there. You know what I mean? It's a challenge to figure out which dispensary is operating legally and which dispensary is operating illegally. States like Massachusetts learn from California. And honestly, Massachusetts built better regs. You know, I, I get frustrated from time to time. The Cannabis Control Commission could be a bit slow, but I gotta tell you, I think they have better regulations. You know, I, I, it's very, very different than, than some of these yeah. other markets. Massachusetts is a well-regulated, well well-run market, whereas California is still the Wild West. Yeah, so we'll get pictures from the California company. Your dispensaries, no matter where you are, cost about the same to open. It's about a million to two million dollars over the dispensary, no matter where you are. The difference is a California dispensary, you know, they'll pitch us, they'll say this could probably do six million a year. Well, the average dispensary of mass is three times that. Yeah, because they limited the number. I mean, it, part of the challenge, I did a segment on this as well when uh, California first passed their proposition that made it adult recreational versus medicinal. It had been medicinally kind of, you know, they had a green cross out front. You could go get it and you had a headache. You know what I mean? It was pretty easy to get it out there. And, but in order to get that passed, they had to let the counties and the cities regulate and get involved. And people that had been operating legally for years, all of a sudden were shut down and illegal because that county passed a law and it yeah. was just chaos. Right. For many, many, many months. And, and because, and maybe you'll touch on this, because of the fact that it's illegal at a federal level, and this will, this will actually be a good segue into talking about the investment through a self-directed IRA. So because it's illegal at a federal level, we still have all these issues on the banking side, right? Because they can't do the credit card transaction. They can't bank in a normal fashion. They pay taxes on everything. They can't deduct the taxes like you do in a traditional business. You can't declare bankruptcy. And so that's what creates a lot of the risk. If you're in an unstable area or you just go willy nilly and throw some money in on somebody that's going to start a field or do a harvest or do this kind of stuff because of how the laws can change. So I think when I talk to investors, I say, look at what the laws are, get with somebody that looks at what the laws are for that state and if the state has done it smart, like Massachusetts, where it's consistent across the board, then you can be much more predictable because it's going to shift the whole way. It's not going to shift arbitrarily depending on who gets elected to that city council or not, right? So um, it's state protections in that regard. So as we talk about that, because, you know, given that it's not available, as you mentioned, as a public stock in our stock markets here because of this federal thing, how is it that you can take a, a federal, a, you know, basically, you know, a federal investment class of, of investment funds, your IRAs, and now direct that into cannabis? Talk about that and let's kind of come back to how people can actually do that. Great question. So in cannabis, you hit extra obstacles, right? The reason why you hit extra obstacles is because of the federal status of the law. So great question. So first of all, I think it's an amazing strategy to access IRA dollars, whether it be traditional IRA or Roth IRA dollars to invest in private cannabis businesses. That being said, the obstacle you're going to find real quickly is that a lot of custodians will not allow private cannabis investments because it's federally illegal, just like you can't be listed on any of the U.S. major exchanges. So what is that? 
prompt you as an investor have to do extra work if you want to get invested in cannabis. And that's why a lot of investors will reach out to us because we've, we've already done all this work. We know where to go, et cetera. So, so if you want to get into uh, private cannabis investing and you're looking to do a self-directed IRA, you want to find a custodian that can house cannabis. And trust is the provider we use. We think they're amazing. The service is great. And they're one of the pioneers that has said, you know what? We believe this is going to be federally legal and we believe this is fine. So they're completely allowing it on their platform. Um, so we use them exclusively. Now, some other benefits of using IRA dollars to invest in private investments. Well, number one, if you're using a Roth IRA, the nature of a Roth IRA is if you put an investment in it, it gets to grow 100% tax free, right? So if you have a $100,000 investment that grows to a million dollars, normally you're going to pay taxes on that growth if it's not in any type of IRA shelter. If you're in a traditional IRA, you're going to pay taxes when you pull it out later on in life. But here's the cool thing, Karen, if it's a Roth IRA, it's going to grow 100% tax-free. That 100 grand that you invested in that cannabis dispensary when your state first you know, legalized, that 100 grand, turned into, if it turned into a million, you literally have access to all million dollars, 100% tax-free. That's pretty cool. Here's the other benefit. If you liquidate a non-IRA investment to put dollars into a cannabis, what are you going to do? You're going to trigger short-term capital gains or long-term capital gains. So you're going to pay 20% or more in taxes for that investment to make that switch. But if you're using IRA dollars, because the money stays in the IRA, it is not a taxable event for the following calendar year. So there's actually a lot of tax benefits for using IRA dollars. And I'm going to submit to you, Karen, 80 plus percent of the time, consumers, investors didn't even know. Oh, yeah. Those yeah. dollars. We right. find that all the time. In fact, right. the top question that I get is, you know, Jesus, you know, I don't have $100,000 liquid. Do you have an IRA? Oh, yeah, I have two million in my IRA. Yeah, exactly. Oh, you can go. use yeah. a small yeah. portion of that if you want to invest in this. So most people have no idea the the versatility that their IRAs have in being able to make certain types of investments that can yeah. just really them up for life. Absolutely. And I you know I mentioned to Entrust, I said, you know, I feel like it's like two thirds of people don't ever even realize that they can access these yeah. IRA dollars for no these types of investments. And I'm not just talking cannabis. It can be for real estate, it can be for whatever. And um, Entrust's response is we find, and they're the experts in this, we find it's more like 90% of the time. Yeah. You know, I'm sure you bump into it too, Karen, but it, it's just yeah. a lack of knowledge out there. And the reality is, you know, your, your sector of what your book is about there that I'm looking at the banner behind, <laughs> that is a hot private investing in startups, in, you know, non-publicly traded investments. That is among the hottest sectors right now uh, in the investment world, period. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's the reason why I covered it in my book. It's because... I said, when I started doing research, when I was bringing this out, kind of in response to crowdfunding to provide an educational tool, there was between, depending on which list you looked at, 3 million to 8 million people making over $400,000 a year on a W-2 in the United States at the time. So they would be considered accredited investors. And likely, because they're in corporate gigs, making that kind of money, they would have a million, 2 million, if they'd been in those jobs for a period of time, you know, of a, of a 401k. And so yeah. what a great way to tap the money that's just sort of sitting out there in a mutual fund or this thing and the other and say, you know, if you got a strategy that you're going to invest in private companies. And now I highly encourage people that they're going to become an angel investor. They're going to invest in private companies. You diversify. There's all kinds of ways to diversify. And one of the ways you diversify, because the rule of thumb is you got to make a strategy that you're going to invest in 10 companies or 10 investments over a five-year period of time. So you've got diversification in there. You can go after the later stage ones that are yet to go public, but throw some cannabis in there. I mean, why not invest in this thing that has such a high upside potential while at the same time you're looking at a reg CEF or you're looking at this deal or this deal. Diversify in stages, diversify the industry and all of that and figure out how much you can take to take 20% or whatever you're comfortable with out of your 401k, convert it into a self-directed IRA, 
If you need to take a tax penalty, then it's going to be a lower tax penalty than later based on your income, what you'll make on that, and then start putting it to work. That's to me, it's been some, one of the best strategies for people to get involved in this space for forever, right? So at the, day, at the end of the day, your downside's the same, right? Your yeah. downside is what it is, but there is no industry right now. When I look at the investing landscape, there is no industry with the potential upside over the next three to five years as cannabis. No. So if you have an investment that has the same downside as everything else, but an upside that it's several times everything else, then it's just, you need to have a part of your, your part of your investable assets involved in that industry. Yeah. It, it, you're just not doing yourself any favors if you don't. There's so a why this industry has been one of the fastest growing and the most explosive for quite some time. You know, I, I go just three, four years back, there were zero countries internationally that had any legal cannabis law. Karen, in the last 24 to 36 months, we're at 15 now. 15 countries? Really? Countries and growing. And oh my goodness. Asian countries, who would have thought South Korea would be the first Asian country to legalize medical? I did not know that. Crazy. Thailand yeah. is now. Really? And, yes. And Thailand has some really strict uh, uh, drug laws. You want to know why? Because people have been, people have been smoking weed all along. People know yeah. what this is about. It's just the stigma that's been battled. And, and now what I'll tell you is education is getting out there. The yeah. world is going to figure out two things. People are gonna make a lot of money in this industry, Karen, for two core reasons. If we wanna boil it down and really simplify it. Number one, people are figuring out that medically, this is a freaking wonder drug that when compared to a lot of prescription drugs today has far less negative side effects. And how many drugs, one drug can actually impact what? Dozens and dozens of ailments. Yeah. And then number two, Karen, this is the other reason. When compared to alcohol, which is fully legal in most parts of the world, when you compare cannabis to alcohol and you compare its negative side effects, nine out of 10 people are going to tell you uh, they have far less negative side effects with cannabis than alcohol, in my opinion. Yeah. And it's the point where even most medical doctors will tell you cannabis is healthier. Even look you. at COVID. There was a study out this morning from, I think, the University of Alberta in Canada uh, allegedly, THC attaches to the same receptors in the lungs that absorb the COVID virus. So they're finding out that uh, the receptors in the lungs that have been coated with THC don't absorb the COVID virus. They don't lock down. They don't lock. They don't get that lockdown on their on their lung lung villi, whatever. Really, it's early in the study. Yeah, but, the study in Canada actually yeah. is proving this. Yeah, yeah it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. People that smoke weed basically are getting turbocharged immune systems. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm joking, by the way, but yes. <laughs> studies, like, if you look at some of the stuff Israel's done um, with with uh, cannabis studies, it's it's really staggering what they've uncovered. Yeah. These are medical peer-reviewed studies in, in medical journals that are you know globally accepted. It's just you know some small study. These are, these are large studies that have proven the efficacy of cannabis, you know, for cancer patients and people with Parkinson's disease, it reduces tremors. I mean, you could, what it, what it can do for childhood um, epilepsy. And if, if you've ever seen the studies, uh, you, this, the children with this Dravet syndrome, they have a hundred seizures a day. Eventually it's yeah. fatal. Um, oh, yeah, that's a, that was the reason why Georgia finally passed it medicinally yeah. instead of that. Yeah, the, the drug that they have out now is 100% cannabis derived. It, it yeah. takes a doctor to a week. And it, it's it's absolutely life-changing. And it's it's an all-natural plant. Yeah. And Karen, so, I just mentioned this. This is the, the you know, two decades of wealth advisor in May. Yes, there's no doubt in my mind this will continue to be an explosive industry. That does not mean just because it's going to be an explosive industry, if you write a check and make a private investment, you're going to have a 10x return. So I just want to make sure everybody understands that. Yes, I believe in the cannabis industry. Yes, I believe in the plant. So does Todd. Yes, we are absolutely convinced lots of wealth is going to be created. But just because you write a check in it doesn't mean that's going to be the case, right? So all startups in all industries have extreme amounts of risk. And it's up to you as the investor to navigate through the, the uh, I call it navigating through the dynamite to find the green gold in the industry. So yeah. please 
very, very careful. Um, it's not going to be like I'm throwing a dart. Now, oh, it's a 10x today. Throwing another. It's, oh, it's a 100x. It doesn't yeah. really work like that. Right. Well, it's it's like with any any private industry, private company. There's the market opportunity. There's all the factors. What's their experience? I know that's one of the things that you look at is what's their private the serious um, serial angel investors. They look at the, uh, the, uh, the emotional intelligence. Are they coachable? Do they, where's their ego in the mix? You know, do they, do they want to be a rich founder rather than a poor CEO? You know, I mean, that kind of a thing. And what's their experience? What's their knowledge of the industry? What's their, you know, I deal with entrepreneurs on a daily basis where I'm advising them on what they have to do to get capital. And, you know, that's those, all the things that you talk about and what you go through with your due diligence. I do that when I'm trying to get them ready, whether I'm going to take them on as a client or not, on what their capital strategy is. But I want to go, I want to go into the disruptors of, and kind of like the segments of, of cannabis. But before I do that, I just want to ask this other question about the self-directed IRA stuff. Given where it is, is there, are any rules or regulations about whether you, uh, like a, a investing in state or out of state so like could a georgia investor invest in you know through you guys in one of the things that you're working on up in massachusetts through their self-directed ira down here absolutely, absolutely. okay <laughs> yeah yeah okay quite, yeah okay I'm, good and so then the other question on that do you want i'm sorry i was just going to say my fastest check writers are investors that find us from colorado or california why They've seen all the people around them making all this yeah. green gold money. And they're like, wait a minute, Massachusetts was the first East Coast-based state to legalize. Oh, wait a minute, Massachusetts got the best profit margin in the country. I mean, so yes, absolutely, out of state. In fact, that's a that's where a fair amount of flows actually come yeah. from. Yeah. We, have, we have people from Canada invested with us, people from the Bahamas who invested with us. So we can take international dollars also, no problem at all. Yeah. yeah. Oh, good. So then the other, so then the other question along that, if they do, if they say they listen to this podcast and they say, and they go to canapreneurpartners.com, throw your website in there. Um, and they say, you know, I'm interested in this, but I don't really know. Do I call in trust myself? Do I, how do I do this? Will you walk them through that process? Absolutely. We'll yeah. guide them through the whole thing. So what, what we'll do is this, first of all, will learn about the basic goals that they want to accomplish as an investor, right? So their risk tolerance, their liquidity timeframe, because for starters, if you're entering into private investments and you're like, yeah, I'd like to write a check this year and I'm, I'm hoping it'll be liquid next year. Right? Yeah. So we're, we're going to ask them about their liquidity timeframe. So the one thing that's very different that we tell investors is look, you know, when you're talking about public traded stuff, when you want out, regardless of how well or poorly you did, you can, you can go on a computer or call your broker and click a sell order and you can have access to the cash. Doesn't quite work like that with private. So, so it's important for us. You know, I think the first step is we're getting to know the investor to understand risk tolerance, liquidity timeframe, and what type of investment goals do you have? The second thing is we're talking them through what we do how we make money and we also will show them hey there's a number of different offerings that we're part of or that we know about to kind of try to shepherd them into the right type of deal right and okay. uh, nine times out of ten if we're going to talk to them about something we've already pre-vetted it and our money is already in on that deal yeah so, so we, within we, that uh you know we, we call it putting your money where your mouth is or eating your own car uh, and that's always a, a good thing a good advice for anybody is that if you are working with people that are they should have their own skin in the game so you're co-investing with them because you know they have a vested interest in that success and we have a dedicated person at Entrust that we send them to that just basically takes them through the process it takes what you know can be a a 14 to 21 day process in some ira companies down to about seven with Entrust. yeah within about a week you know you can fill out your paperwork and have funds transferred and ready to go the Entrust has it down to a, they just have it systemized and it's it's an easy painless process we've had probably a dozen or so at least investors go through that process and not one of them has complained so i went through it myself so so let me ask you this question when it comes to investing in you know the different types and we can talk we can i can throw that chart up or not when you talk about the disruptors because there's you know depending on where you want to be within that ecosystem in the food chain at the source processing, retail, right, dispensaries. 
So, you know, the dispensaries in particular, they throw off a lot of cash. They, they're, they, pre, they oh, yeah. flow a lot of cash. So when people invest in things like that, because this industry is so cash, cash rich, so to speak, um, do, are they structured in such a way? Are they authorized legal where they can pay out dividends or through the LLC pay out a portion of those, those revenues out to their investors? They don't have to start getting the return and waiting on an exit and the sale of that, that it could just be almost like an annuity. Will it operate like that for them a little bit? Yeah, let me use a dispensary example, right? So I think that's a, it's a, it's a great example. In fact, when we talk about the different sectors where you can deploy capital, we think uh, retail dispensaries is one of the safer places to be with one of the highest cash flow yield, but also multiple liquidity opportunities. So let's just take a dispensary. Let's just say uh, we sink some dollars into a dispensary we believe in. We believe in the founder. Uh, we see it's in the right location passing all the regs and the entrepreneur passes all of our screens and all of our background checks. We typically write the first check in and then we have a sea of investors that we're bringing in alongside with us. Typically those investors are coming in and it might be a convertible note. It might be a private placement for equity directly. So as those dollars come in, that fuels the build out costs associated with the dispensary. Now, six months later, that dispensary can be cash flowing revenue. In states like Massachusetts, the average, believe it or not, the average dispensary is grossing between 17 to $20 million per dispensary, right? So, and, and if they're selling their own product, 80 to 90% of that's profit. If they're oh, yeah. buying sale, it's still 40 to 50% profit, right? So it's an amazing business opportunity. And in most cases, if you got even a halfway decent location, people are going to come through your doors because in states like Florida, Massachusetts, there's a shortage. I mean, they can't grow it fast enough right now. So, so now let's play this out. You as an investor, a year and a half ago, you wrote this check. Maybe you put $100,000 in to help launch this dispensary. You went in on a private placement or, and you got equity directly, or maybe you got a convertible note. Let's assume it was a convertible note. So let, maybe you were paid 12.5% for the first year while there was no revenue coming in. Then the revenue starts to come in and you can convert that note to equity and you would right. only do so if the cash flow from the equity is going to be greater than the 12.5% interest. This is part of the reason why we love convertible notes. Right. There's a lot of benefits to it. Yeah. But now you're converting to equity and you're now a co-owner of that dispensary with the founder of the dispensary. And your liquidity event is this, one of two ways, either that dispensary sells, and for some dispensary owners, that's their whole game. I wanted to get in and I wanted to sell this thing for 15 million. And in states like Massachusetts, that's very, very possible because the cash flow is coming into these dispensaries. So you could get a liquidity event that way, or maybe it was part of a big multi-state offering or multi-state op, um, operator, and maybe that company went public. Number three, you could say to your friend, family member, or another co-investor, or some other investor that you know, and say, hey, look, you know, this is what I'm yielding on this investment. I'm yielding 23% income on this investment. I'm ready to sell it. So you can sell it privately. So those would be a number of ways in which how you can do it. But it's really simple. It operates like any other business, right? You'd look at the cash flows coming in. You'd obviously take a look at, okay, here's how much is going to operate the business this is what goes to taxes. And then this is what we as investors share. Yeah. Well, I think this is a good time to tell people that you have an ebook that you've written that's, that's specific to investing in the cannabis industry, right? Uh, we have, yes. Yeah. So basically it's an investor guide on tips, tricks, techniques, on uh, basically how to thoughtfully find and place capital into private cannabis businesses. You can download it from our website. Yep. So if they go there, is it, I think you had the link, is uh, a Canapreneur Partner. So yeah, for those yeah. that are just listening, that's C-A-N-N-A-P-R-E-N-E-U-R. So like Canna and like entrepreneur without the entra. Right. Okay. And then partners.com slash book and you can get to it. Or there's probably a link on your main page to it as well. Free download of the book. That's a free download and my contact information's in there. Please give me feedback. So that's version one where the plan is to consistently continue to add content to the book. Um, and I, I'm actually really curious what 
private investors are looking for. And, uh, and I want to get that content in there. So thanks. Yeah. For well, I'll admit it, it's in the show notes as well. So folks, if they, they scroll through, they can get it. And then when I send it out to my investor list, I'll be including it as well. So. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you. So, you know, um, do you want, what other topics within this would you like to, to add to as we start to wrap up here? So here's a, here, here's a thought. Todd and I speak at a lot of different cannabis conferences and investment conferences. And just, just something that I just have to comment on. We spoke in Orlando in February, I think it was. Yeah. And I asked the audience and it was, um, it was Actually, beyond packed. Yeah. It was beyond packed. It was standing room only. I don't know. I'm going to say there was 70, 80 plus people in Probably. the room. We're speaking, it's being tele, you know, broadcast at the same time. And I asked a simple question. I said, how many of you in the room have either personally benefited from cannabis or know somebody that has benefited from cannabis? And I kid you not, 75% of the room put their hands up. Yep. Karen, that right there is why this is going to be a compelling investment opportunity. Because I want you and the people listening to this to think about this one thing. How many times in history have people wanted something so bad that they will despite the fact that it's federally illegal and they are technically a criminal for writing a check, for operating the business or buying it. How many times in history has that happened? And that is why I believe an insane amount of wealth is going to be created because from the ground up, Karen, people want this and it's not going away. Yeah. So, and what, how, is there a minimum threshold for getting involved with, you know, depending on what you're looking at, you know, for, with accredited investors only. Um, okay. Typically, it's a hundred thousand dollar minimum, but we do allow people to to pool funds to get to the minimum. So sometimes we'll have a brother, or a sister, or a father, or a grandfather who'll put in twenty five thousand each, and then like you, know, you just form a simple LLC. It takes you you know half hour to do online. Sure, special purpose it. LLC. Yeah, you have the LLC make the investment. So that's that's the easiest way to go about it. Yep. And then you have your own little investing club with your friends or family that can participate in the investment. Yeah. And we do have plans, Karen, to launch a micro fund as well. And what that's going to enable us to do is there's a giant sea of investors that are not accredited investors that would like to write smaller checks. It could be $100 up to maybe $3,000. So we do have plans to launch that as well. There's tons for us to do, and there's not a lot of people in the East Coast doing what we do. But uh, that is on the radar, and that's something we're interested in doing. Um, in tandem with a celebrity opportunity. So we've been in talks right now for a while um, with a couple of celebrities that may get involved with us in the industry. And if that does come together, you'll, you'll certainly know about it because- And then we'll be doing another podcast, I'm sure. <laughs> exactly, absolutely. Okay, so um, I guess the last thing I would like to, to talk about, because I think it's important for people to understand the value proposition that you guys offer. And you know you, um, you have mentioned it in prior conversations about the choke points of, of private businesses, right? It's the lack of capital, lack of business experience, and how do you solve that? And so within this very diverse industry where there's you know, so many places that there's an opportunity for a business opportunity, how do you address that? Obviously you're bringing the capital but do you, um, are there, has it got, has the industry gotten to a point where you can have somebody with an idea, but not the business expense experience, but then they can fill, form a team like you would with sort of, let's say a, a tech software where you got an engineer that could design it, but they don't know how to take it to market or run a company. Do, are they, are, do you see that in, um, early stage that's like that's like you know like very very early yeah. stage like putting the building the sausage so yeah 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 i mean we have some people pitching us who you'll have a group pitching us and you know one guy will be you know the former chief of operations of a company the other guy is a accountant so he's the numbers guy and you have groups for each each job each participant has a specific skill set that they're bringing to the operation. And that, that's pretty normal to see that. So that's, that's actually good because we're not, in essence, putting our eggs all in one basket. If you have a team of people with different skill sets, you're, you're betting on a team versus betting on one guy delivering um, a, a suite of solutions to the problem. It's better to have a team doing it when everyone else has their, 
individual abilities they bring to solve problems. Because there's so you, plenty. So you do have um, have businesses knocking on your door or entrepreneurs knocking on your door saying, hey, can I get into your pipeline? You're, it's not. Oh <laughs> yeah. Oh, we, we, listen, yeah. there's not a lot of groups like us that are writing checks for the cannabis industry yet. Like I said, East Coast is in the second inning. We see an insane amount of deal yeah. flow carrying. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, this was Todd's idea, so I give him credit. He said, you know, now he said, you know, we're, we're ready to, you know, we're ready to write a wave of checks in the dispensaries. So Todd goes, let's, uh, let's do a mailing. Let's do one mailing to all of the licenses in Massachusetts where they haven't received the final license to open yet, but they're kind of in the early stage to get open. I couldn't believe it. We thought we'd get a couple responses. Todd told me we ended up with almost three dozen responses. Oh, yeah. That's how bad there's a screaming need of capital in this industry. And the letter was just, we're Canada Partners. This is what we do. You know, we, we provide funding for, for businesses. We provide investments for investors. You know, if you need anything, just let us know. There's just a, this is who we are letter. Yeah. They're sending us pitch decks. They're calling. It's just the need is we will never have a lack of uses for capital. Put it that way. No. So right. now with, I mean, your lane seems to be really be within the dispensaries because they just, they're such a cash cow. Yeah, kind Do of. you see sort of other areas where you're um, seeing some opportunity or, you yeah. know, uh, consumer things or like, like they're getting into infusion into drinks and things like that. Is there, or are those just, they're just not as, um, as, as rich in uh, the return or are you diversified as you grow in your own operations into it's all the both. different sectors? So we love retail. We think there's a lot of investment ROI in retail, but not exclusive. So we also like cannabis tech. We're actually involved in two cannabis tech deals. In fact, the newest one just came on board uh, Monday, um, or was actually late last week. Yeah. So our newest portfolio company, um, they're called Anna's. So think of um, an artificial intelligence vending machine for cannabis delivery in a dispensary, or if it's CBD, um, artificial intelligence vending machine in a gas station for CBD delivery. So why so, do you need artificial intelligence in a dispensary? Dispensary. Well, you know, artificial intelligence is finding its way, you know, in all sectors of our lives. So this particular founder and entrepreneur found a way to to bake it into a vending machine so that he could start to actually grab onto and, and understand, you know, data points. So what the oh. consumer liking, how they're responding, you know, understanding their, you know, purchase patterns for an upsell at the end. In fact, sure. this entrepreneur believes that that data is actually yeah. going to be extremely valuable as the yeah. big players come in over the next three years. It, it has a very good possibility of being the only or the first real-time sales data feed for the cannabis industry. Right now, virtually all the data you get is a month old and it's from state websites, which are updated whenever they update them. And that data is kind of aggregated and pulled by the big companies. So it would be invaluable to the industry to have real-time daily or hourly statistics on sales of you know, various products in various states by various demographics. Right now, that doesn't exist. And the ability to have something that can collect that and do that is, you know, we think it's a very compelling uh, value proposition. So are you looking at deals outside of Massachusetts? We are. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Florida, so, Jersey, Illinois, Colorado, we're looking at deals. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. then if an investor, yeah, maybe they've got a group of investors that have a deal that they're looking at, can they come to you for you to vet it and then co-invest with you guys as well? We see that all the time. These are the groups that we work with, Karen. If you can be an individual investor, maybe small, $100,000 check writer. You can be an individual investor that wants to write recurring seven-figure checks. You can be a group of investors, family offices. We've talked to private equity groups. Um, so there's a number. We've actually had groups come out to us and say, hey, we've got no exposure to cannabis on the East Coast. Will you help design us a private investment portfolio? We've done yeah. that. As so um, absolutely. Yeah, because you have all the licenses that you need to, to do all of this kind of stuff since your background is in the securities industry. Well, I mean... So, I mean, we operate as a hold co, right? right? So basically our focus 
is you know getting very early stage and we're so early stage a lot of times we're co-founders you know on these deals you know or the strategic funding partner on these deals and then we're structuring the you know the investment raise in many cases as a co-founder of the deals if they're early stage and then we're bringing the investors in yeah you know, are we using you know securities licenses and brokerage firms and things like no because that's none of those firms are really allowing you know cannabis right. on its yeah, and it's not necessary. Right. I mean, most of most of I mean, most everything on the private side, and even the only one within the uh, crowdfunding that requires a, a broker is Reg CF. So, you know. Yeah, we're we're, we're co-investing people, I and mean, we're not, you know, we're not recommending an investment to someone and not putting our own money into it. Right. So I think the distinction comes, to, um, Karen, is. When you've begun managing um, the investment and it becomes a fund and you start charging one or two percent in fees, now it's a different story because part of what you're doing is generating your revenue from fees. We don't generate revenue from fees with our investors. We look at our investors as our name, Canapreneur Partners. They're our partners, right? right? They're our funding partners. And then we look at our partners on the entrepreneurial side, they're our operating partners. Right. So we Tie the two together. Excellent. Okay, Excellent. Money from our investors. Nope. They win, right. we lose, we lose. Okay. Well, I, I think this has been an incredibly informative uh, talk. I thank you so much for, for being on the show today. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up? No, just for, yeah, I think that's it. Well, thanks for having us and campernerpartners.com. If anyone has any questions, we're always available to talk and, you know, even if even if they don't want to invest, they just want to learn about the industry. We're happy to talk to anyone about the industry, totally. plan. Yeah. You know, anything involving cannabis, we're happy to talk. Here's my closing comment, Karen. We're only going to be at the second inning of the cannabis ball game on the East Coast once. That time is now. Yeah. We're only going to unfold worldwide uh, as a legal industry once. That time is now. So I, I use this quote frequently from arguably the world's best investor, but here's what Warren Buffett says. When investors are fearful, I am greedy. When investors are greedy, I am fearful. Still to this day, investors are fearful of cannabis because of its federally illegal status, but that fear is starting to lift and investors are figuring out, wait a minute, this is a time for me to be greedy, not fearful. Yeah, absolutely. Nine out of 10 people believe Federal legalization is lifting, and how can it not? The federal government is the number one entity that generates the most revenue from this industry than anybody else. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I, in fact, I had a, a friend of mine when I was first launching the cannabis uh, capitalist segment, and, uh, and I told him I was doing that because I thought it was a curiosity area that would drive people in to learn more about, you know, angel investing being you know, sure. my, my thing. Right. And so, and he said, cannabis, Oh, that's old. That's, that's been there, done that. That's, there's no opportunity there. I was like, what? You've got to be kidding. <laughs> yeah. We are at the ground the like the very, we are truly at the ground floor uh, as you I'm know. California, most of this country is at the ground floor. Yeah. If cannabis was an omelet, we haven't cracked the egg. Yeah. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. There you go. We're just getting it out of the car. Yeah, we just we're, we're just home from the, the store. Starting. It's hard to know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're, you're just getting hungry for eggs and I'm glad you are. I, I'm excited that I got to meet you through the family office uh, organization and um, because you're just a wealth of, of knowledge about the topic and clearly you're solving a lot of problems within the financial side of the ecosystem and uh, bringing people together and bringing a lot of value to the marketplace. So uh, I, I thank you very much for taking the time to be on my show twice now and yeah, look forward to... Uh, when other things get announced and uh, y'all come knocking on the door to get back on and I'll be here and, you know, and hopefully this will open up other doors for us to work together in, uh, in different capacities. Yes. We've enjoyed it. And you just reminded me, and so I got to do a quick plug for my man, Richard Wilson with the family office club. 
That's where we met Karen. Uh, a lot of uh, amazing people are at those places. Richard runs the world's largest family office club. We're pumped to say he's on our board. If you have not checked out his conferences, oh my gosh, jam-packed with knowledge, tons of wealthy investors and family offices rolling around, and tons of entrepreneurial opportunities yeah. as well. you got to check it yeah, out. It's amazing. Uh, is it foc.com? Familyofficeclub? Familyofficeclub.com. Yeah, it's Family, family Office Club. Yeah, if you just Google Family Office Club, Richard Wilson will come up. Just the amount of the, the, the amount of tools that they have available to help out is just incredible. You want to be a member just to access their, their online their database. database. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's a pretty powerful group. Yeah. yeah. Okay, with that, thank you very much again. And I always close the show out with onwards and upwards. So that's what we'll be doing from this point forward as we continue to move that ball forward. Thank you again, Michael and Todd. Thank you Thanks, Karen. Thank you for listening to the Compassionate Capitalist Podcast Radio, where we encourage individual investment in entrepreneurs to create generational wealth and best practices for small businesses to succeed. Help us spread the word about compassionate capitalism by sharing this podcast with your friends and colleagues. The Compassionate Capitalist Podcast is available on most podcast platforms, including iTunes, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and many more. In production for over 10 years, there are over 180 episodes available for your listening and educational pleasure. With over 130,000 downloads, this podcast is rapidly becoming the top podcast for investors and entrepreneurs to get the information they need to create generational wealth through entrepreneurism. This podcast is brought to you by the Business Power Tools which offers an online collaborative environment for leadership teams to prepare business plans, marketing strategies, financial modeling needed to attract capital and scale a business. Also, Lindio as a entrepreneur's resource portal providing access to dozens of lenders offering short-term and long-term debt to help business owners manage their financial cash flow and growth capital needs. BizX, creating affordable advertising resources, and other tools for entrepreneurs to succeed and create awareness and trust with their customer base. And Launch Funding Network, part of Cougarand Capital Holdings, is a network of hundreds of angel investors, investor clubs and networks, venture capital firms, private equity funds, family offices, investment bankers, and lenders. Please visit karenrands.co to learn more about the Launch Funding Network and our sponsors, and to sign up to get our Compassionate Capitalist Coffee Break and learn more about how we can help you succeed.